Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. Today, we welcome a new amazing guest for a new amazing episode. Bart Hendricks is the head of global treasury operations at SIVA, a global logistics and supply chain company, part of the CMA CGM group. Bart gives quite a detailed overview of his career and what he does at SIVA, so I will not cover it in the introduction. But you should know that he took his function at SIVA just a little bit more than a year ago. He is therefore the perfect guest to talk about a topic that Hussam and I were really keen on discussing with an expert. How to build a best-in-class treasury team and the use of shared service centers in treasury. In this episode, expect to learn about insights on transitioning from banking to corporate treasury, what transforming a treasury department means from a people perspective, the ins and outs of shared service center uh, and the implications for treasury, of course, what things such as payments on behalf of Bobo uh, and factoring and securitization are in treasury, and of course, how to build and maintain a best-in-class treasury team whilst attracting and retaining the best talents. And, of course, much more. This was honestly a fascinating discussion we had with Bart, who knows so much about Treasury and really played the game uh, to break down certain concepts whilst discussing them. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we do. And if that is the case, please do not hesitate to rate us on your favorite podcast app. This is the best way to help and support the podcast, allowing us also to invite more and more amazing guests like Bart. Also, of course, if you would like to reach out to Bart or learn more about SIVA Logistics or the Treasury Operations there, you will find all the links in the description. With all that being said, please welcome Bart Hendricks. So... Bart Hendricks, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you. Very good. I'm pleased to have you on the show. Uh, Bart, could you please start by introducing yourself? Uh, what's your background? What do you do? Yeah, well, uh, I'm uh, currently Global Head of Treasury Operations and in-house banking at Siva Logistics. I started my career 25 years ago uh, in banking. I worked first half of my career in leverage finance, corporate banking, across Europe for different banks, purely in the corporate domain. And I changed to corporate treasury now almost 13 years ago. Very new in corporate treasury, not new in banking and banking products, but new in corporate treasury. When I was asked to set up a corporate treasury department for a spin-off of Texaco called Delek. It, it's an Israeli company who actually acquired Texaco stations in the Benelux. And they needed uh, someone to set up treasury. So I was a one-man show at the start. And later we set up a, a team across the Netherlands and Belgium. Then we acquired the BP uh, stations in France. So I had a team in France as well. I also did some credit management. So totally different role than banking, but I really got hooked into corporate treasury. Very cool, very cool. How was that transition for you? We've talked in the past with um, other guests and, and, and in other episodes about transitioning into 
corporate treasury. How was that transition for you? It's huge. Eh? It really is huge. It's uh, For me, it was very, how can I say, liberating in the sense that um, while I had a very interesting and challenging job within banking, uh, within banking, you're at the sideline. You, It's very deal-driven, at least the business I was doing. So you advise a corporate purely on one single product. Once the deal is done, you step out. Moving to corporate treasury was completely different. First of all, you're part of the organization. So you're really ingrained in the organization. And, and you have to know every specific of the organization as well. And next to that, it's very, how can I say, empowering in the sense that you have your responsibilities, which is very clear, but you have to take your responsibilities as well. Just to give an example, so we were a carve-out out of the huge Chevron Texaco Treasury Organization. We had a lot of foreign exchange deals we had to do because we buy fuel in dollars and we sell it in euros. Very basic. So in the beginning, I called one, three or four banks and I said, what's your best price? And they always knew I was going to buy dollars. So they gave me a price and I said, yeah, go ahead. Then I found out that we had, you had these electronic trading platforms. So I went to my CFO, which is actually, I think, still one of the best CFOs I've ever had. I explained the business case, being expecting me to write 10-page business profile case and then wait for three or four months. And she actually said, well, yeah, just do it. Hey, come on. I mean, we need to move forward. This is a no-brainer. Just get it done. And that was so completely different than working for a huge bank where if you want to change something, it never happens or it takes ages. So, like I said, for me, very liberating, uh, a lot of challenges in the sense that some of the things I had to do, I had no knowledge of. So I was not a typical cash manager who started as an analyst and knew everything about MT940s and, and these Swift and all these kind of things. But you learn along the way. And if you have an open mind, it's, uh, yeah, it, like I said, for me, it was a big step, a huge challenge. Transition was big, but for me, there was no way back to banking. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. So, so explain to us what you do now then at SIVA. Um, who are SIVA? What do they do? Uh, can you give us like a brief overview and then your role there? Yeah, no, no problem. So I joined SIVA just over a year ago. SIVA is a third-party logistics company, which means big companies like like Amazon, like, like huge retailers, for example, they need to have warehouses, they need to have logistics functions, which they don't have themselves and they outsource it to third-party logistics companies. SIVA is one of them. Siva has a very long history, started out partly as a Dutch company, TNT Logistics, many, many years ago. So it's, it's really from the postal services it started. And a long history in the Netherlands, even though it became a global company already 15, 20 years ago, when it merged with an Australian company. It's been owned by private equity uh, over the last 12 years, but was listed three and a half years ago, three years ago, at Swiss Stock Exchange, only for a brief period of time, because then we were acquired by the French company CMA CGM. It's a large shipping container business company who was who is expanding and diversifying its business. And logistics is part of the whole value chain, so they acquired Siva Logistics. 
when I joined, we were with uh, 78,000 people. Our revenues were about 7 billion. Uh, that was in 2020. If we fast forward to today, we did three, four major acquisitions over the last period. And we expect our revenues to be for 2022 in the range of 15 billion. We are with 120,000 people and we operate in 160 countries. Like I said, we're part of CMA CGM located in Marseille, its head office. We also relocated our head office to Marseille, but we are very independent in the sense we have our own treasury team and uh, we have our own strategic decisions, of course, aligned with our major shareholder. Now, diving into the treasury organization and my role. So we have, given the fact that we did some acquisitions, partly carve-outs where we didn't acquire any treasury people, but also acquisitions where we actually acquired also treasury teams. We are in a very dynamic process at the moment to restructure our the treasury organization. Um, currently, we have three main teams within treasury. One of them is credit management. One of them is middle office and risk management. It's more the reporting side. And then it's my team, which is treasury operations. Within treasury operations, we are responsible for uh, liquidity management, so global cash management. We are responsible for intercompany funding and lending. And we are responsible for bank guarantees globally. So really the, the operational side. My team of eight people is spread globally. So I have people working in my team uh, in the APEC region, in North America, in South America, in Europe. Some people are located in Portugal, some are in the Netherlands, and some are in Marseille. So it's a truly global team. Even though we are a French company now, I have only two uh, French people in my team. Uh, all the others are, like I said, located across the world, but also are they have their origins there, so they know the local business quite well. Wow. So between the appeal of treasury that got you to stay in the end part and uh, your neural in Seva, you're quite the person to talk about uh, for Shared Service Center and the topic we would like to talk about today. With your role, I guess, came uh, the building of this team or the restructuring of this team or so had it for that reason? Yes. No, no. When I started, my team consisted of two people, one okay. treasury analyst in the Netherlands, well, actually at that time still located in Marseille, guy from the UK, uh, who moved back uh, to the Netherlands, and one uh, very senior person already with the organization, SIVA, and also in treasury in Singapore for over 10 years. It just uh, as a side note, as I said, we used to be a Dutch, the head office was in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. As we moved to Marseille, none of the uh, existing treasury, global treasury team members located in the Netherlands actually relocated to Marseille. Okay. So the, the most of the team, give one or two, have a background in SIVA treasury of up to three years. So it's, even though we have a lot of experience in treasury, SIVA Treasury, we are a quite a, a new team, okay. which means we are still searching for the right spread of people across the different teams, but also the right competences within the team. So this is an ongoing search we are working on. But I was indeed hired as well to 
further build the team to have a global presence. It's also because our strategy, so our, our blueprint for our treasury organizations did change. Uh, we, even though we're a centralized treasury, so we took most of the, t almost all treasury functions from the local entities to a central entity mm -hmm. in France. We do have regional cash managers slash treasury managers who are located in the regions, who are part of the global team, but who are also given the time differences and the complexity of the organization, we have regional treasury managers reporting okay. into me. Makes a lot of sense. So a global treasury team with the perks of having somebody in the local businesses to know and be close to the yeah. operating yeah. units. Awesome. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, thanks a lot for this introduction, but uh, this okay. is going to be fascinating. Um, we would like to talk about uh, Shared Service Center today. Maybe to begin with and to break down the term, can you explain to us what a Shared Service Center is? And not necessarily um, with the treasury view, but because of course we're going to come to it in the future, but what is a Shared Service Center? But also for in my view, a Shared Service Center is a, a center... Uh, of expertise, where we try to consolidate uh, processes across the regions. And this can be uh, looking at finance, uh, this, this can be processes uh, for accounting, uh, processes for treasury, for example, for uh, accounts payable processes. So mm -hmm. you try to consolidate the processes, optimize its efficiency by also implementing technologies who make it make you able to have a a global uh, service uh, for in our case our 160 countries in the group. That means that it's it's not it really is for us a center of expertise. It's located centrally. Uh, in our case, we have two: one in uh, India, which is outsourced which means we don't own it. So we outsourced it to a third party provider. And we have an inbound and insourced shared service center in Malaysia. So we have both, but it's really for making our processes more efficient mm -hmm. and more uh, global and more aligned with our business strategies, which also, and, and of course we can't hide from that. It's also a cost reduction because it's located in countries where labor costs are lower. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's also from a cost-saving perspective because by working more efficient in shared service centers, we can allocate resources locally to more strategic functions. Makes a lot of sense. So centralizing um, the operating units or the treasury functions, uh, for instance, Technology-wise, optimize um, yep. the tools you have, but also in terms of human resources, right? You yep. uh, gather people together to make a more efficient process. Absolutely. Okay, makes a lot of sense. Maybe to continue breaking it down, um, mm -hmm. what type of company use a shared service center, for instance? Does it need to reach a certain size, critical size, or is it as of a certain turnover, as of a certain number of people working? What's your What's your opinion on that? Well, I think it, you need a certain critical mass. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So the companies I worked for, the, two of them had a, a shared service center. So that's the current one. I'm, uh, three of them. I worked for a large dairy corporation called Friesland Campina, 
we had a shared service center in the Netherlands. So location, even though important if you look at the uh, labor costs, it isn't always the main driver. It can also be local expertise. So th- this is a, a 10 billion company. Another company I worked for in Japan, a Japanese listed company, uh, had its shared servicing center in Hungary uh, for the European entities. Uh, also there, it was one of the larger companies. So I do think, to my belief, mm-hmm. it needs a critical size. It's very difficult to determine that in revenues or in employees, but there needs to be a business case to uh, justify setting up a shared service center. But I do think with present technology, where it's easier for global teams to specialize and work together, that the business case can be much more interesting nowadays for smaller companies as well. With smaller companies, I do mean companies with turnover somewhere between 250 million and a billion, which I think in the past was not really the case where you looked at the the Vodafones and the Ikeas and these kind of companies which had service centers. But I do think it's more interesting now also for short, uh, smaller companies. Okay. Relative. For my understanding, Barton, so are these, is this an external company which these bigger companies come and contract services to? Or is this setting up for them something in-house that they use? Yeah, that's a good question, and that that so some some companies and do indeed uh, do uh, like we do, use an external party. Uh, we use Infosys, which is uh, one of the uh, leaders globally. You can also build the business case to have an uh, th- this insource uh, to have a greenfield operation somewhere in, for example, Central Europe or in Asia, where it it justifies to set up something like this. Now. It is, you do need expertise, you, it, it's, it's knowledge you have to acquire first because it's not your main business setting up shared service centers. So if you have the resources, both from a cash perspective, but also from a people's perspective, to build your own shared service center, then there could be a business case. I do think for smaller companies to outsource this, it could be more interesting. You can also do it gradually by first outsourcing it and then gain expertise and then perhaps insource it at a certain moment in time could also be a strategy. So a business case that hopefully you can submit to the type of CFO you dealt with, Bart, and that will yeah. accept it rather rather fast and not after a couple of years. Yeah, but it, it is a huge uh, step huh? because... Um, Definitely. The impact will be uh, in each of the entities globally or regionally, wherever you work, because you will take away business. You, you will impact accounting teams in each of the entities. So at the moment you start centralizing the processes in a shared service center. Mm-hmm. So even though paper, it looks like a, a very solid uh, business case, the, there's also a human impact because... This is something I experienced when I was working for this Japanese company. The moment you build the business case and you say, okay, we can save 2F in accounts payable in Germany in this entity, we're talking about people. And we're talking about people who's been with the, who've been with the company maybe for 10, 15 years, doing, have done nothing else than accounts receivable or accounts payable. And you tell them, nope, we're transferring your responsibilities to Hungary. And uh, that that is difficult. It, it, it's more than a business case on paper. 
you, there's a human interest as well, which you have to take on board. 100%. And out of curiosity, how much time does it take to set up from scratch a short service center? Do you have an idea? Like if you decide to build it, let's say, and not externalize it um, just for us to have an idea because I have no clue. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It, I'm afraid I can't really give an, a straight answer there. And that is... <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it depends a little bit on the processes you are planning to outsource. So if you're saying, no, let's let's start small and, and, and looking more treasury-related, let's start with centralizing our payments. Also, you, you might know the term of a, a payment factory. I don't really like the term because factory always it's it's the connotation is not very nice. But so if you focus on payments, that could be relatively easy because uh, with the current technology, mm-hmm. you you can scan invoices received locally, and you can send them centrally to a shared service center where they will be paid. So that that is easier. If you look at, for example, accounts receivable credit management. Wow, that's a bigger investment eh? because, uh, and it takes more time. And because uh, you have to train staff, you have to have multilingual staff because your 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 customers are worldwide. Mm-hmm. You, they have to approach your customers. They have to call your customers. So this, this, this can take a long time. And this is also something which local companies and especially the local sales teams are very much afraid of. That we have people uh, somewhere in in Asia calling my customer that they need to pay on time, so the, and that will take more time. And then then we're talking about years to fully transfer the processes. Technically, it, it can be quite quickly, yeah. especially for for accounting consolidation purposes. That can be done uh, again, given your footprint and your size. But that that that's year one, two, three years. You can really transfer a lot of these processes. Yeah. To really set up a fully fledged shared service center, yeah, it's an ongoing development. I really mean ongoing because even today, if I look at our treasury uh, processes we have, we are all the time looking at processes we currently do centrally in Marseille uh, or still locally in the entities, how we can transfer those to our shared service centers. You can't really say, okay, uh, let's transfer, uh, to give an example, uh, one of the processes we are currently going to are thinking of transferring, the fact that we have a lot of non-centralized cash. Mm. And without going into too much detail, uh, a company most of the time likes to centralize its cash, that they have full control over the, its cash and they can use the cash where they need it most to, in order to do this. You want to have the local cash at a minimum level. Now, uh, we have hundreds of bank accounts locally. Even though we have centralization structures, cash pooling structures in place, we still have a lot of uh, bank accounts not part of these kind of structures. So we want to reduce the number of non-centralized cash. So today, we we make our own report centrally and we we call our companies in in the different regions and countries and say, well, you have so much cash, please transfer to our financing company. Um, We want to transfer that process, at least part of the process, to our shared service center in Malaysia. Now, in order to do so, you you, you can't just say, okay, can you do this for us? No, you, you need first 
a very, very clear process description. And you need to really test the, these processes first if they work, and you can only test them yourselves. And then you have you can talk about transferring these. You have to set very clear KPIs because the people need to know in these uh, centers of expertise how they can support us the best and how we can measure them. So it's not just saying, okay, we're doing this today. Can you do this tomorrow? It's a process. Even something as small as very internally approaching our entities to ask for more centralization of cash. It can take up to three to six months to really transfer such a process once it's fully put in a clear process description. That's super clear. And we actually start to tackle the second aspect we did to discuss, the technicalities, which means what kind of task and treasury function you can find in a, in a shared service center. Yeah. So cash management, it's rather clear. Cash centralization, that's also something we already talked mm -hmm. about um, yeah. in the podcast. Let's maybe um, dive a little bit into payments processing. Yeah. And you, you mentioned payment factory, even though you don't like the term too much. Can you quickly describe what that is and what's the perk of it? Why would you want to centralize and have the payments executed from a shared service center? But yeah, I had the question, the same question for collections, but let's tackle it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So payments, it it's a process which is most of the time done uh, locally, especially when you grow through acquisitions. You buy companies; they have their own accounting department with their own accounts payable team active. Now, what we are doing within our organization within Siva, we are. Uh, centralizing our AP uh, in India. So we have an ERP system called, we are not working with SAP, but with JD Edwards, and uh, which is one of the leading ERP systems. So we, we try to have a global ERP system. We want to establish a linking pin between our global ERP system and the banks. In order to do so, we have implemented a treasury management system called Kariba. Mm -hmm. And we are using Kariba to uh, process our payments to the banks. Now, this, given the fact that we are glo globally rolling out our payment process module in Kariba, we can also centralize this because it's the same approach globally. So we have a global team uh, in India working also according to the time zones of our companies. So that mm -hmm. means we have people in India working in three shifts. And as, as a result, part of this work, this so the whole payment process is now centralized in India. The main perks are is that you have a centralized and uniform process. There are no exceptions there. And it's controllable, controllable in a sense of authorizations, that you have the same authorization structure in place, which is from a control perspective, extremely important. Next to that, you have visibility. You have visibility on your payables going out, mm -hmm. which impact your cash again. And you can also have, and this is not something we're doing today, but could be that even from a central treasury perspective, you could have an impact on the release of the payments, 
which means you can really directly impact your cash flow in that sense. Okay. Uh, this is not something we're doing today, but it could be a, a solution in the future. So for us, uh, the reason why we are transferring payments is to have a centralized process, to have more control over uh, our payments and our security uh, on payments, and to have more visibility on that's super clear. And well, we like to be the um, devil's advocate a bit. So I'm, I will ask a last question on payments, but yeah. payments on behalf, if, is it something uh, you can quickly explain as well and that yeah. you can execute from a shared service center to your view or what's, what's your perspective? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, this is something uh, we are not doing today within SIVA, given okay. the complexity of our organization and our global presence. Mm -hmm. But indeed, uh, um, if you, if you could do payments on behalf of, which actually means that you have a central entity mm -hmm. who is actually paying all the invoices for the whole organization, you could fully control uh, your cash uh, and your, also your payment cycle. Right. So uh, to give an example, uh, today, um, given the fact that all the payments are processed in our shared service center, but by different entities, we also have a different, as, as we call it, payment clock. That means some entities pay on a daily basis almost. Some have, have weekly payment runs. Now, mm -hmm. if you have a, a structure where you have payments on behalf of, you only have one central entity, legal entity, who actually executes the payments. And you can fully control that. And, and also this payment clock, like I said, you could say, okay, let's pay only twice a week on Wednesdays and Fridays. The impact by paying only on Fridays on your working capital, for example, is huge. So no payments on behalf of is certainly something which is very interesting, not for every organization. Like I said, for our organization, it's, it's more difficult, mm -hmm. given also the fact that we are, there are also legal restrictions uh, to have your payments uh, for your Brazilian entity executed by a Dutch entity operating from Malaysia it's it's I don't want to start there so it can be very complex but given your structure and your global footprint payments on behalf of can be very interesting and and the pinnacle would be also to have collections on behalf mm -hmm. of which means that you have one entity yeah. who is on your invoice one bank account and all the money is received on that bank account that means that you centralize cash uh, from from the source. Mm -hmm. So uh, yes, but that 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 is it depends on on, on the the industry where where you're in if it's possible. But it, to have a like they say payments on behalf of and collection on behalf, yeah, that would make life in treasury but also in accounting much easier. Yes, but, but maybe not in legal. <laughs> but not in general. I think, I, I think especially uh, external legal advice. Uh, very, very happy with that. If we would, of course. <laughs> but of all these uh, processes, treasury processes that you've described, I mean, if a company was to start to create this shared service center, which are like the easiest ones that they would typically start um, yeah. centralizing like this? From a treasury perspective, so le I, I let us out. Let aside accounting, because there's a huge yeah. uh, benefit there as well, on, on, certainly on, on uh, consolidation and, and, and the reporting and these kind of things. But for Treasury, I think uh, looking at cash management, it's the payment side. Uh, so payments is 
the first step I would uh, set uh, when you start implementing shared service centers. And which part of it specifically? Like of all the things that we've talked, like so I'm not trying to get to like what's the easiest thing to get done first. Like if, if you could explain the process. So a company with legal entities across multiple regions with a shared service center in Malaysia. Yeah. The first thing that they would typically centralize that drives the biggest efficiency, the low hanging fruit, as you would say, mm -hmm. what process exactly? Could you describe that? Like the before and after? Yeah. So, so before uh, you would have a local process in each of the entities where you get, you receive the, the, the invoice of your supplier. The invoice is uh, either scanned or keyed in in your uh, ERP system. Most of the times it's just typed in. And then uh, once it's in your ERP system, you wait until maturity date of the invoice. So on the payment date, and then it's uh, put into a payment proposal or a payment batch. And then a person prepares this batch. It's signed, it's sent to a bank, and then in the banking system, it's approved by two authorizing signatories because you want to have some segregation of uh, and 2 ice principle, and then it's paid by the bank. So that's a typical payment process, very, very simplified. Now, if you would implement a shared service center, it means invoices will still be received locally. They will be scanned and, and <clears throat> sent to a share, the share, your shared service center, wherever that may be. It's collected there. So you have people doing this full-time. So it's not a side job or one of the tasks you're doing. This is just a task, uh, a, a full-time job. Um, they uh, key or scan this in the ERP system. They make sure that the payment batches are prepared on time. They make sure that the internal approvers are have approved it on time and they make sure it's sent to the banks and approved there as well by the authorized signatories. So the process is much more efficient. You centralize knowledge, but you also centralize tasks, which are, if you do it locally, it might be 15 or 20 minutes each day from your day job. Now it's centralized, so you free up the time locally. So these people can do more meaningful or strategic tasks, uh, which are more required locally. And it you, you can actually control the process on a global level, so there are no exceptions there. So for me, centralizing these kind of pay, payments processes, it's, it's not just efficiency, but it's also making sure you have a global approach which uh, means you can also, if there is a reason to uh, steer or to impact the process, you can do it from one source instead of trying to roll it out globally. Very clear. Okay, super interesting. So we've covered payments, like you said. We covered a couple other uh, aspects of treasury as well. I'm trying to go through the list of all the yeah. topics Guillaume and I have covered up until now in our in our Corporate Treasure 101 episodes, one that maybe sticks out that might be interesting for this was trade finance. I think it was one thing that we talked in the past. We did a big episode series on it. And so can you do that with a shared service center? So what does trade or supply chain finance, as it was also described back then, relate to this typically? And I think, I guess, I mean, being in logistics, which yep. the parent companies more think, you guys must be experts on this. 
Yes and no, we are in logistics, but financial logistics is something else. But if I can give you two examples of what we are doing today, one of them is we have securitization program. We sell our part of our receivables to a special purpose vehicle, which is financed by a group of banks. So it's, it's selling of receivables like factoring. Okay. It entails, uh, in our case, a lot of reporting, both internally. So we sell the invoice. It needs to be cleared. It needs, but also we, once you sell the receivable, you, you, you get cash from your financing company, from the banks. So th- this whole reporting process around securitization, we outsource that to our shared service center on a daily basis. So as we have multiple entities in different jurisdictions across the world, they sell invoices and they receive cash the next day to say very very broadly. It means there's a lot of reporting involved, a lot of communication, a lot of transfers involved as well from uh, cash transfers. These are all prepared by our shared service center. So yes, given the fact that it's a global program, to have this centralized somewhere makes a lot of sense. In our case, we centralize this in our inbound shared service center in Malaysia. So they are supporting us there, especially on the reporting side and the preparation, the multiple transfers we have to do on a daily basis. So yes, that's outsourced. On the other hand, if you look at reverse factoring. Bart, could you could you explain that a little bit more? I didn't quite understand what you meant by when you said you sell invoices Yes. Well, the process a little bit, yeah. Of course, of course. So the moment you conclude a deal, a, sa- a sale, there's an inv- you prepare an invoice mm-hmm. and you send the invoice to your customer and the customer pays, say, after 30 days or 60 days. Yeah. That's the normal process. Now, if you have securitization or a factoring process in place, it means that you actually don't, you, you pre- still the, you have a contract with your customer, uh, you prepare your invoice, you send the invoice to your customer. Mm-hmm. Customer still has to pay after 30 days. However, you also sell the, this receivable, which is an asset which you have because it's, it's, uh, in the future you'll get cash for it. You sell that receivable to a bank and the bank will give you the money the next day if they accept the receivable. So that means instead of waiting for 30 days on your cash from your uh, customer, you might get it after five days. So for from a cash perspective, that's great because you get your cash earlier and you can actually do something with the cash instead of waiting for it. So that sounds very much like factoring, but you highlighted yeah. securitization. Um, yeah, it's securitization is especially for larger companies yeah. where you have a, a much more complex structure in different re- jurisdictions. You don't stick with one bank because the volumes are very big. You make it a little bit more complex by setting up a special legal entity mm-hmm. called owned by you, but it's uh, which is funded by a group of banks often in a syndicate structure. So I don't want to go too much in details, yeah. but it's, uh, <laughs> so, so it's, it, it is like selling your receive. It's still the same. You sell your receivables. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, you don't sell it to a bank. You sell it to a special purpose vehicle, which is funded by a group of banks. 
so it's more complex but the the principle is the same you sell receivables mm-hmm. you get your cash in earlier and when the customer actually pays after 30 days it's on uh, bank accounts which are owned by this special purpose vehicle so and these bank accounts and i'm not going to go into the legal complexities but they are <laughs> pledged to the group of banks so everything which is on the bank account is pledged so okay. that, that in that sense the banks uh, keep control cash coming in and it's like very short-term financing because it's over the tenor of uh, your payment but for us it's a uh, it's a uh, very uh, it's it's one of the ways to control our cash flow coming in okay so that's that's factoring but maybe next level and what i propose to sam is that because it's fascinating but we need to have a dedicated episode absolutely this. well uh, it, it's complicated but it's it's well known well it's it's uh, it's used by a lot of large companies yeah um, and especially <clears throat> became very interesting also due to the covid crisis where the focus on cash really became the pinnacle of attention of much of senior management where's our cash how can we get our cash in much quicker then factoring securitization became even more important super clear perfect um if i could summarize just so in layman's turn so my, my understanding of it so what you're saying is when you make a sale to a customer of course there's some payment terms applied to that the invoice doesn't get paid the next day there's usually like after 30 days or 60 days yeah. So what you do is you take that promise that the customer is going to, or that contract that the customer is yeah. going to pay you in 60 days and you sell that to a bank for cash today. I assume yeah. at a fee. There's a discount. So say yeah. you, the contract or the invoice is 100 euros, you get 95 euros. And part of this five euro is like an insurance that if the customer doesn't pay, then at least there is some cushion there. If the customer pays, you don't get the last five euros say you get four euros because the one euro is the fee, the factoring fee, the bank will ask for it. Okay. So you, and you, your company, Siva does that a lot. So all that paperwork, the reporting aspect of it, the issuing of all these contracts, the, the management of it all is done by a shared service center in Malaysia, for example, right? Yes. So that's, yes. that's kind of why you do it because it's a lot of paperwork, it's a lot of grunt work, which might've been half, you know, maybe a couple hours of someone's day. Absolutely. The Netherlands yeah. get centralized to one or two or five resources in 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 a central location. Who's doing equitably? Yeah, yeah, makes complete sense. Okay, um, but this is fascinating. Uh, but we still have the other aspect to cover, which is best in class treasury team. Maybe the quick question to wrap up the shared service center. One. Yeah. Um, how does this a treasury shared service center? fits into a more global treasury team? And I think this question is even more relevant for you at the setup at SEBA, given that you have regional treasurers and cash managers yeah. spread across the world. So it might not be that easy to manage a center in India that is externalized, mm-hmm. one in Malaysia, plus those different reportees or people that within your team you have throughout the world. So how does that uh, overall setup fits into a global treasury team? That is a good question. And Looking at SIVA, mm-hmm. most of the time shared service centers have their own reporting structure, which we also have in India. So this, the shared service center we have there, especially focusing on accounting, accounts payable, ARAP as we, we call it, they have their own reporting lines. However, our inbound shared service center in Malaysia 
the people who are working on the treasury tasks, so the next to the securitization we talked about, or the centralization of cash, we also look at cash flow forecasting where some of these people play a role. They actually report directly to global treasury. They are part of the global treasury team. So it's not that they are in some way or form less or are underskilled. No, absolutely not. They are really forming a part of our treasury. However, they are located in Malaysia and they have very specific jobs they work on. Now, how does a short service center impact your global treasury structure, your team structure, is 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 a very relevant question. And especially in, in the changing environment which we are over the last five to ten years where technology play and data plays a much more important role it's a cooperation a real teamwork between the teams we have in malaysia and our global head office team what i mean with that is that we in at global head office we really need people who can use the data the data which is being produced in malaysia they do the reporting but we need the right skill sets centrally mm. to actually interpret the data we have, albeit on, on cash flow forecasting, can be on centralization, can be on different tasks. So if we look at our teams and our team structure in Marseille, we have real experts on data collection, data interpretation and forecasting. We have uh, experts on treasury management systems and on technology. So if we look at our cash managers also regionally, they are not involved in uh, accounts payable, not at all. They are involved in uh, selecting the right business partners, so the right banks for our regions, the right liquidity structures. So it's they are much more strategically focused, much more project managers in implementations and migrations. Mm-hmm. And in Marseille, they're really the experts on, on data analysis, where you have in your shared service center, you have more the reporting and the data collection side. So we, we, we really try to set up our treasury teams in such a way that we make full use of the resources we have in the different setups. That's very clear. Bart, I mean, that, that leads us in very nicely to section the next section we wanted to discuss with you. You've got a lot of experience in building these teams, specifically in the world of treasury. You've seen the churn that comes with people moving in, people moving out, the pain that that comes with, I'm sure, for, for the leading teams. What's your take on uh, the talent pool in treasury uh, and the best way for attracting the best talent and retaining the best talent? Mm-hmm. Is yeah, there something it, unique about treasury talent versus general talent, or do you think it's all the same? I'm inclined to say treasury is very special, but I, I don't have the expertise somewhere else. But if I look at treasury, so it's a well-known fact that, uh, especially in shared service center, uh, turnover is quite high. And and we, we have the same challenges in India and Malaysia. That's a fact of life, even though I think we are able to retain our people for quite a long time, especially in our inbound, because they are part of the team. Um, And that's very important to keep these people aligned, to really make them part of the team, to involve them in in group discussions. For us, that's on a weekly basis. We have team calls, so keep them involved. That's really for shared service. And, And make it very clear and specific what you would like to see 
and how you how they can participate in developing the processes even further and to make it more efficient. So uh, try try to empower them, uh, involve them. That's for the shared service centers. Now, if you look at building a centralized treasury team, and I've tried doing that for the last 10 years in different companies, it, it has changed quite a lot, especially in the beginning when you try to set up a global team the responsibilities were very operational in the beginning. You start as a very operational centralized treasury team and you try to develop in a more strategic team, uh, more more value enhancing as they say it. So more tasks which are really contributing to the, the strategic direction the company is going to. But in the beginning, 10 years ago, when I had to set up this treasury team for Delac in, in the Benelux, I really looked for someone who was able to transfer cash and opening bank accounts. Very, very basic. If you look nowadays, while we are building our treasury team, we really look for people having uh, a, a much broader focus in the sense that they don't need to have a banking background anymore. They don't need to have a, a cash management background uh, as a start a startup function. We really need people who are willing to learn, understand our business, and are technology savvy uh, in the sense that technology plays such an important role in our treasury function today that if people don't have any experience working with specific uh, software or hardware or software programs like treasury management systems, it's all uh, software as a service, they say. So it's all in the cloud. It's it. It's completely different than where we were uh, 10 years ago. And we need people who can adapt to that, who can learn that very quickly, who uh, know, uh, have an experience in machine learning and data analysis. So the skill set of the people has changed tremendously. And these kind of people, they need different challenges. So uh, you you need to try to retain them in a different way than you did cash managers 10 years ago. So I don't know if that answers a little bit of your of the struggles yeah. we, are, we are having today. Yeah, I guess you know, I guess what you're saying is that um, you need to give them continuous like stimulation, right? You, uh, yes. For the offshore teams, those are typically, they feel disenfranchised. They feel like they're not really part of the team, so you need to make sure they feel included. For the onshore team, for the people that are in your regional offices, you need to give them challenging roles, I guess. Right? Exactly. How, how did you... I mean, data is, is a big point generally in, in all industries at the moment. How much do you see the treasury uh, departments getting unlocked by, you know, this data-focused skill set that you're doing? Like, do you see in your experience from so much treasury, like, like more work getting done much faster, more optimization happening? Like, how, how big of an impact has that really been? Because if you're saying, hey, you don't even need a banking background anymore, you just need a data background, ability to manage large data sets and have these skills in managing cloud services, managing machine learning, AI, whatever. Clearly that's because you've experimented enough and seen the value that comes out of the data skills. Yeah. So, can you us a little bit more about that? No, absolutely. So Treasury is sitting on a huge pile of data. So we, we know much more of the company than the company realizes in the sense that we know payment frequencies. We know we, we see cash coming in, going out. We know customers not paying on time, paying on time. We Everything is locked in cash. And um, so we have this huge pile of data. 
which in the past we didn't do much. Now, now over the last five years, also senior management and also the other department have seen the value of this data, but it needs to be extracted from, from the data we have. So we need to make it tangible. We need to make it useful for other departments as well to make strategic decisions. So instead of being just a an operating uh, unit who transfers cash from A to B, which in the past was all cash, cash management did, and opening bank accounts and closing bank accounts, we're not now much more focused on algorithms, on cash flow forecasting, on trying to interpret the data which we have and support sales and support procurement and support senior management on their strategic decisions and also even on their customer selection or on their procurement, uh, on their uh, selection of their suppliers with the data we actually have. So we try to involve in our cash flow forecasting processes uh, also our sales teams, our business development teams to show them what's happening and and to show them also which type of customers uh, are paying on time. How can we uh, maybe even further optimize our payment terms? So because of the data we actually have and own and which we can use, we are able to look over the boundaries, over our own treasury silo which we have and try to share the knowledge but also have an added value to the other teams and this is just the start we we were exploring this so within siva we have a separate cash flow forecasting uh, tool software called cash analytics we are now globally rolling out the tool the impact it will have because it's also like i said using algorithms to learn and it can be feeded from your ERP system, but it, 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 can, it can also make predictions for the future. It, it has a huge impact. It will have a huge impact also on, on sales, for example. So, Bart, leading on to that, maybe a bit more philosophical question for yeah. you. As far as I'm aware, there's no like data science and treasury, you know, master's degree out there or anything like that. So typically, you're going to have to take people with these skills, train them on treasury, and help them grow and learn. How do you strike the balance when you take these talents of giving people the opportunity to grow and learn whilst, you know, getting results? Because there's going to be a failure curve. There's going to be a learning curve in there as well. Like, how do you grow and uh, retrain talent whilst continuing your operations and and delivering quality to your uh, entities from your shared service centers, for example? Yeah, no, that that, uh, that indeed is is a very good question. And... Because you're at a certain moment in time dealing with two two type of people. You you have your non treasury uh, educated data scientist who f- it doesn't matter where he works. He he looks at the data and he tries to uh, make sense of it and and turns it into valuable uh, a valuable resource for for the whole organization. It's a totally different animal than a typical cash manager who actually prepares transfers and, and opens bank accounts, which is still a relevant task within Treasury. Um, however, um, what we do see is because of new technology, the shift from your basic operational Treasury management to a more high-tech Treasury 
a data analysis type of function is moving quite quickly um, and which, which means that a certain tasks will not be performed anymore by people in the future within treasury the, i mentioned ai very quickly but machine learning and artificial intelligence will have a huge impact on the, the the conventional treasury functions which we had 10 years ago so there will be a shift to a much more focus on on data on 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 collecting data and to be a more strategic partners to senior management uh, by using artificial intelligence and machine learning because treasury in the end it's just a process and you can optimize a process and you can use machine learning for that so but we're not there yet so as of today we are still in this more schizophrenic position that we on the one hand need people with real treasury and cash management background who, who knows how to open a bank account and who know how to do transfers and to know what an MT940 is and what SWIFT is and all these kind of things. And on the other hand, we are moving into the next period where we really need people who are much more focused on data. And maybe just to, to, to rebound on this part, in the future, more or less near future, will it be more easy to hire somebody with a solid data management skill set to whom you will just need to teach and grow treasury skills with? Or it's still much more worth to hire somebody with a treasury background, as you just said, and teach that person the data management skill set required? What's the, the balance yeah. here? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, uh, the, the latest people we hired in the team have a much more data background than okay. treasury background but we still need people to open bank accounts and that's because our counterparts in banks still require wet signatures they still they're they're, they're not there yet so uh depending on the progress our uh, collaborators are making our partners outside we can move more quickly to the the the, the more specialized functions mm. we're not there yet on the other hand that gives us a huge challenge because uh, the type of people we are looking for if we look at the data side of treasury try to convince them working for a treasury department in a logistics company if they can also find a job <laughs> at google i mean it's and uh, uh, we're not sexy enough eh? so it it is a challenge there as well it's it's very interesting to say we need these data scientists and we yeah. need to make sense of our data it we're still a logistics company uh we're still uh moving uh products from a to b mm -hmm. we're not sexy enough i mean to i think to attract the biggest candidate there so it makes sense but it's also going to be one of the major problematic of the future the logistics with the growing population with uh rarer and rarer raw materials and all that stuff it's i mean it's Absolutely. a very interesting challenge and so you anticipated my question but i'd like to uh to push a little bit here how do you attract them then if uh yeah as a i don't know data manager experienced data manager i can say okay my option is either siva or google how do you attract them and retain them back to the first question we asked yeah no we have one big advantage i think over these the, the these high-tech companies mm -hmm. and that is that we, we 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 provide a very tangible service which i mean even though you you don't see the trucks on the road every day 
you you do see uh, our competitors like FedEx, like DHL, like these kind of companies. So they're yeah. visible. You take them. It, it, what I would like to do, uh, if we try to convince candidates or or even people who just joined, to stick with the company, take them to a warehouse, show them what mm. we are actually doing, how the process works. I mean, it is like you say, it, it is uh, something going forward going to be even more important to to in a sustainable way get products from a to b mm -hmm. so it's tangible so it is interesting but you have to show them you have to prove it yeah. and 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 that that is sometimes difficult so we want to be out there we go a lot to uh universities mm. to to try to attract them there but i mean we we are in a, in a bit of a disadvantage at the start because they don't know us yeah and they don't know how interesting the business is in logistics. But that was super, super interesting. Um, anything else you would like to share with us? Either Shared Service Center or the Treasury in Siva or the recruits and attract, retain talents in Treasury? Uh, maybe a final remark, and that is attracting talent. We discussed that. Mm -hmm. um, retaining talent is maybe even more important in this dynamic market um, we see a lot of vacancies we see a lot of uh, also our own people being about being asked or being approached by headhunters yeah. by recruitment companies so retaining talent is very important and um, to retain talent uh, what we've seen is that in the past when you offered them a company car a a a pay increase uh, that would mm -hmm. help you need to do uh, do more today and one of the things in treasury which we also discussed a little bit now is that it's 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 moving very quickly it's it's developing so training people uh is is very important for us giving them the right training they need at the right time mm -hmm. that's one and the second one is to give them ownership and uh, that is very difficult in some companies, but especially in in smaller companies, give them ownership, uh, make them part of the decision-making process. That is what really helps us retain our young talents, especially because uh, they will leave in an instant. Mm -hmm. It's not because of the company, but it's because of management and of, because of the opportunities they get. So keep challenging young people in your team, give them the training which they need, and also give them ownership. And that's what we try to do with our team. It's working. That's how we grow. Makes a lot of sense. But thank you so much. It was super well, yeah, insightful, super interesting. Um, we will, of course puts uh, some links in the description of this episode. So your LinkedIn profile, the website of Siva. Um, anything else or where should people go if they want to learn more about you, about your company or the treasury team there? Well, of course, uh, you're more than welcome to uh, visit our LinkedIn site of Siva. Uh, we now have just over a million followers. So we're very proud of that. So uh, people know where to find us, but we're very proud there. Go to our website. And if you need any more information, my LinkedIn profile will be shared as well. So that's that's fine. This is awesome. Perfect. We put all this in the description. Great. Thank you very much. Well, thank you.